Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. I want to talk to you. We've been, we've been talking the last few months, actually, uh, ever since I've been here, but a month or so before Pentecost Sunday, I began to really kind of emphasize the Holy Spirit and just treating him scripturally as he is, the third person of the Godhead. He is the person of God that lives inside of us. It was his job when you were a sinner and running as fast as you could away from the Father. It was Holy Spirit's job to go get you. And he was faithful. He tracked you through swamps. He tracked you through bars. He tracked you through drug houses. He tracked you all. I don't even want to talk the places that he had to track you down. But he tracked you down. And he drew you. It says that this is what he does. He lifts up Jesus and he draws everybody to Jesus. I thank God for the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. And he lives inside of us. And I want to start out uh, today talking at what I believe is one of the primary duties, jobs, responsibilities, however you want to characterize it, of what the Holy Spirit of heaven does within your life as a follower of Christ. He's not passive. He is active. And I know we've all heard he's a gentleman and he won't cross over. I think sometimes we overdo the gentlemanness of the Holy Spirit. And I, that's not a word. I know Troy was here last weekend. He had rubbed off. I, I'm making up stuff now. But uh, Sometimes he doesn't ask your permission. He just shows up. Aren't you glad for that? I heard such a wonderful testimony this morning, Carl. I don't know all the details, so I'm going to mess up the timeline. But a daughter who was, didn't know where she was at for what, 20 plus years? Father's Day. Was it Father's Day? Father's Day. Last week, Father's Day. You don't mind? Okay, right over in Oregon City, 15 minutes away. His baby was there. She's grown up now, but she's still his baby. They had a grand reunion. Come on, son. Come on. Come on. You know who the travel agent was that put that together? Holy Spirit. He knew how to get the intersection lined right up. He knew how to bring it in on the land and life's right where that's what he does. I want to talk to you about living life in the river. So much of the allegorical references to Holy Spirit from the clear from the beginning of the Old Testament right on through into the book of Revelation is referring to the river. And that's just a, a type of the Holy Spirit's work, movement, flow, because his, his move is very much like a flow into and through and out of our lives. Jesus also referred to him as a wind. You don't know where the wind's coming. You don't know where it's going from, but you know when the wind's there. That's another allegory. And there's all kinds. There's so much in Scripture that ref- where, where the Father, when he was speaking to these prophets of old as they were writing, writing it, he had the Son in there all the time. He had the Father in there all the time, but he had, he, had his, he had Holy Spirit in there all the time, everywhere in this book. Living in the river, dryness on the inside is the enemy of every human being. I'm not a psychiatrist nor a psychologist. 
but I'm a human just like you. And in the ministry I've had for decades and decades, being a pastor and preacher of the gospel and dealing with people in every circumstance of life through good times and bad times, through times of rejoicing and times of weeping and tragedy. Been there when the new ones have come in, been there when the old ones have gone out. But I can tell you that every human that has ever lived has had to contend with dryness on the inside, dryness in their spirit, dryness in their soul, dryness in their emotion. I've talked to enough of those that are psychiatrists and psychologists, and in this realm, they can virtually assure that every person that has ever committed suicide, this was at the very foundation of why they said, I can't go on anymore. Life had just dried up. No reason left. Over in Psalms 106, 10 through 15, Let's read this. And he said, and he, that he being God, and he saved them from the hand of him who hated them. You need to put that on your refrigerator door. That applies to you if you're a Christian. And he, Jesus, God, the Father, Spirit of God, saved them from the hand of him who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then they believed his words, God's words. They sang his praise one of the saddest portions of scripture you'll read in the Bible. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and God and tested God in the desert. This is probably one of the second greatest saddest verses in the Bible. And he, that is God, gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Leanness of soul. Thinness is what that word leanness is. Emaciated. It's the condition that the majority of human beings on planet earth live in inside of their soul or their spirit. They're lean and emaciated and dry because the only thing that nourishes that part of anybody is not anything that comes right. There isn't a drug made that will touch it. There isn't a relationship or however many relationships you want to stack up that will touch it. There isn't a family. There isn't a possession. Ask the billionaires that were in the submarine. There isn't anything that this world has that you can lay a physical hold on and say, that'll fix it. There's not one thing on this planet that will fix it. There's only one thing. And that is, it is the presence of Almighty God himself through his uh, agent of personal interactions with people today, Holy Spirit. That is the only source of dealing with our true remedy for the leanness of soul and spirit. I wish I could say that as long as, the, the, as you go to church and the churches are full and people are there, that, that that immunizes you against leanness of your soul. But from this verse, you'll find out it doesn't immunize you from leanness of soul. You can be right in the, you can have your prayers answered and have dryness of spirit. I can testify. How about you? Oh, we don't want to embarrass anybody, but yeah, okay. <laughs> Been there. Got a double-sided T-shirt to prove it. You can read the Bible. You can do all sorts of things. And those are all good. Those are all good. Man, church, be in church. It's worse when you're not. But there's something that uh, goes beyond just having some external spiritual activity take place to deal with leanness and thinness of spirit, to deal with an emaciated inside. When you're content to live and pass victories, that's what got these guys. They were content to live and pass victories without present refreshing. Thinness of spirit sets in. When all of your experience or a majority of your experience in God is what happened back then, and there's nothing 
stirring in the waters of your spirit right now. Leanness, not might, not maybe, not well could be, not, oh, it'll take 40, but the other six, no. Leanness sets in on everybody. If it's spiritually living in the rearview mirror, you will become thin in your spirit. Jesus declared a remarkable new way to experience life. And, and actually, what he began to talk about and what he introduced, he, he gave the antidote. He broke the curse of leanness. And that's found over in John 7, 37. And this is where I'm really going to uh, take and uh, spend a little bit of time with. In John 7, 37, Jesus was wrestling with disbelieving followers in this seventh chapter. He was wrestling with those that were questioning whether he was Messiah. He was always wrestling with that. He, he was wrestling with those that were um, exalting God on the great day of the feast, but uh, of the, of the, um, in the Jewish tradition. But in the middle of it, the spiritual leaders were murmuring and complaining and questioning and wondering if he, if he was the Messiah by the things he was saying. And, and they were actually contriving to have him arrested at that time. Within the, this, the seventh and eighth chapter, they, they tried to have him arrested several times, but it was not yet his time. So Jesus was at this feast. And in verse 37, we're going to pick it up. John 7, verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, say, at this particular time, I think I, I, think I can you know, extrapolate a little bit why, why he took the style he did. But um, he wasn't just passively sitting in a corner, kind of talking to a few of his disciples and in just a conversational tone. It was the culmination of the feast. There was, there was at that time, there was a, it, it was a very joyous, festive time. And right in the middle of that, Jesus stood up and he cried out. Hey, everybody, listen. I have something I want to tell you right now. All the feast is great. You're remembering but I've got something that so supersedes the feast that you're looking to a type of what God is. And as he cried out and he began to get their attention and he cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me as the scripture has said, out of his heart, the old King James says, out of his belly. Everybody say belly. Good, I know you won't use that word the rest of the week, but we did today. Out of the innermost heart, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What's he ta he's talking about Holy Spirit. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus introduced the antidote and the cure for leanness of spirit, for dryness of soul. Why do you think that? Because he said, if anyone thirsts, if anyone is dry, if anyone's just lean on the inside, depressed, unhappy, wondering, you know, Alfie, what's this world all about? That's an old one. Ha <laughs> ha. Our source of new life does not come from ourselves. You can't work it up. The song we sang at the end, Reckless Love. We had a city prayer meeting, fellowship meeting in Coos Bay. It was, it was um, my wife had put that together. 
won't go through all that, but it's still going. Um, Pray Oregon Coast. Uh, it was a God thing. We hosted the first one. And one of our worship leaders, Justin, I had never heard it. He never asked me. That was the first time I heard that song. As a matter of fact, for the folks in Coos Bay at that meeting, maybe other but that meeting, it was the first time that most of them had ever heard that song. The reason I'm referencing it is because its message is uncomfortable when you first hear it. I was uncomfortable. Referencing God as reckless. I could see an uncomfortableness in the room. It was mostly older Christians. If you're an older Christian, it's all right. The message never changed. The method changes all the time. Huh. But the message of it, he tracked me down. He chased me down. He, he, he threw every bit of hesitation away when it came to loving me and to loving you. He threw, he did not hold anything back when he said, I'm going to love you whether you want to be loved or not. It makes us uncomfortable in the presence of that type of emotional atmosphere. But God never gets nervous about loving people that don't love him at all. As a matter of fact, those that say, I hate him, I don't believe him, all the adjectives the atheists want to use. God sits on his throne and laughs and just says, I love you. Holy Spirit, go get him. That's what he does. How many are glad that he does that? <laughs> My best friend, the young man that led me to the Lord years and years ago, middle of Jesus, people and all of that, that say, filled the Holy Spirit, I don't know, a few months had gone on. And um, he had matters of the heart that kicked in. What are you talking about? His girlfriend left him. <laughs> Jesus comes to set captives free. What's the rest of that verse, you Bible scholars? And he healed broken hearts. Country and West has taken over that bit of theology, but God's been in healing broken hearts ever since the beginning, and he's not changed anytime soon. Um, but my best friend, through it all, I live right at State Line, Idaho, right at the State Line of Idaho and Washington, probably pretty close to where you're at. And um, I was driving by one of the State Line bars, and I looked over and saw his hot rod sitting outside this tavern, and I knew what my friend was doing. So I wheeled around, <laughs> you know what it means when a 17-year-old wheels around, right? Yeah, yeah, I feel that. Came in, walked up to the door. They said, $2 cover charge. I said, I'm just here to get a friend. They said, it don't matter. You're going to pay two bucks or you're not coming in. So I'm like, I gave him two bucks, walked in. My friend's sitting there with a picture at the table and his head down. He didn't know I'd walked in. I walked over and pulled the chair back, sat down and kind of slapped the table a little bit. And he looked up. The eyes opened up. He said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm here to get you. He said, I don't want to be God. He said, I'm here to get you. I'm here to get you. It took a little while. He finished his picture, by the way. I never touched a draw. And uh, he finished his picture, and then we got up and walked out of that place. 
and his testimony. He'll preach here someday and I'll have to share his testimony. That was the last one he ever had. But we walked out. He's 18, I'm 17. We got in his 64 GTO and he just started breaking down and bawling. And I started breaking down and bawling with him. You know what happens when teenage boys start crying like that? The Holy Spirit shows up. That's what happens. The Holy Spirit showed up inside that car. And God began healing. God began chasing. God began to be very reckless in the way he was loving. God began to express, uh, I'm going to heal the broken, the leanness, the dryness inside of you. Friendship doesn't heal it. Friendship is good, but friendship won't heal it. Marriage won't heal it. Being a parent, being a grandparent won't heal it. Being a doctor won't heal it. Being a psychologist won't heal it. Nothing will heal it. There's only one thing that will. The presence of God showing up in your life. Our source of new life does not come from ourselves. And so Jesus said, uh, he that is thirst, if anyone is thirst, let him come to me and drink. There are three conditions must be present to access the source of refreshing. It's uh, the refreshing and power of God. And it's found here in the 37th verse is dryness, movement, and intake. And we'll get to those in a few minutes. But those are the three components that become the key to refreshing, the key to having uh, 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 the, the river of Holy Spirit released into your life. Over in Zechariah 4, I want you to go over there, and in Zechariah chapter 4, the first six verses, there's a foundational kingdom principle that is found there that Jesus was tying into here in Matthew 7. It's the law of victory for the believer. And it reads this, Now the angel who talked with me, oh, just a little side note, uh, if you've got it so figured out and so spiritualized that God doesn't do anything miraculous anymore and that angels aren't involved in interacting with people, you're going to have a tough time with the Bible. Angel-angelic interaction is from the beginning to the very, very end. I don't worship angels. I don't look at any special treatment from them, but I expect them to do their job in my life, which is help me. And they don't have to announce that they're helping me. And they don't tap you on the shoulder. Sometimes they do, but I've never had it. As a matter of fact, Paul said you'll entertain them and be unaware of the entertaining them. But it doesn't take away from the fact that they show up and they take care of business. And some of you are in this room today because there was an angelic intervention at a, life, at a point in your life where you probably should have died, but you lived, and that angel is going to need a thanksgiving when you get there. Ha <laughs> ha. I just love talking about angels. So uh, when I find them, that's that's what I talk about. And so the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as, I, as a man who was wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I'm looking. And there's a lamp stand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. So you get it? Think menorah. Wicks, lights, seven of them. Pipes go down into a common stand. Stem. That common stem is in a bowl. And now the angel who talked with me came back, waking me, said, what do you see? I said, I'm looking and there's a lampstand, seven lamps, seven pipes to the seven lamps. Now the next one, two olive trees are by it. One on the right of the bowl and one on the other at the bowl, at its left. And so I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me saying, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know these, what these are? Angels, I think, sometimes are just like, what's the matter with you? Anybody can figure that out. Oh, I'm just... I'll tell you what, if you think the Bible is boring, you just need to throw out your expectations that there's nothing in it for you and start reading and say, God, what do you have for me in here? And this thing will come alive and change your life. Huh? Do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. It's okay to tell God, I don't know, but I'm ready to hear. 
Come on, somebody. So he answered me and said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are those, what are those olive trees connected, standing by pipes, connected to lamps? What are they, what's that all about? It's an analogy. It's another allegory of the Holy Spirit. It's another reference that the oil which brings light and life and warmth and all of those things is connected not to just a, a religious activity, but it's connected to something that's alive, the olive tree. That's the source. It was representation of God, the pressing of the oil of the olives and the oil that comes out, that pure, unspotted oil. That's the Spirit of God. And God said, this is the principle. I believe Jesus was referencing it in John 7, that it's not by might nor by power. When you try to do it by your own might and by your own power, you will dry up and get lean and emaciate on the inside. That's what will happen to you. If you try to live this life without divine assistance, without supernatural oil being supplied to you in regular abundant doses, you'll become dry. If you don't look for a way that there's a source of light that needs to come into me from someplace other than me, or my family, or my wife, or my, my, my things, or my cars, or for me, my guns, or anything else that you might have. The law of the believer is this. It's not, it's not by anything that you do in your own strength, or you have in your own ability, or in your, or in your own power. Uh, I don't have $32,000 for this bill, for this electrical, and I don't suspect that you do. If you do, you need to come talk to me. We will have a conversation, but I'm just, you know, whatever. But I do know this. Me worrying about it. You getting all upset. Oh, Pastor, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, we're going to trust the one who $32,000 doesn't mean very much to, the Father. And we're going to watch what he does. Amen. And we're going to give glory to his name. But uh, Zechariah, the angel, was telling him, uh, Zechariah, you're going to have to understand something about God. I'm the angel. You don't seem to understand much because you missed the whole point of lamps and pipes and olive oil. Uh, but this is how it works in my father's kingdom. It's not by what you do, but it's by what his spirit does. That's how this thing works. It was a sad day when the church moved away from that, thinking that somehow we'll get committees. And I'm not against committees and boards and all that. I'm not against that at all. I'm really not. But at best, they're just efforts of our, of our own strength to try and accomplish things for the kingdom. And, and we should be involved in wanting to do that. You should be volunteering. We've got plenty of ways to volunteer here. But what it all really runs on is this oil that's supplied into these pipes and into the, into the lamps and into the, into the vessel. You are the lampstand. It's you. You need oil if you're going to be salt and light. Mixing the old and the new metaphors together, all right? 2 Corinthians 4, 7. The treasure comes from the inside, not from the outside. The life comes from what's happening on the inside, not what's happening on the outside. In the old days, you know, and I was there, and, you know, somebody comes in and, and you know, I don't know, maybe they got saved. A lot of times they didn't. We just try to clean up the outside. The outside will take care of itself once you get the inside connected to the pipes that are supplied by the tree, the olive trees that are next to them, all right? Uh -huh. All those hippies that got saved in the Jesus people movement, all of them except for maybe Kevin and a few others, they don't have long hair anymore. I'm picking on my brother. I love it. Why am I saying Because some precious, well-meaning saints, man, to make sure that it was real, I want to make sure you get your hair cut to an appropriate length. And it really had nothing to do with the hair at whatever length. And thus, the world's response to that was a musical called Hair. I'm just all over the board today. So just, I've been preaching two weeks, so you have no idea how much I, the, uh, we're just, 
2 Corinthians 4, 7. The treasure comes from the inside, not the outside. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Remember, he's just talking about vessels and Zechariah. We have these treasure in earth that what? The excellence, the King James says, the excellence seen, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not us. Treasures in an earthen vessel. So Jesus is, is phrasing it this way. A river of living water flowing out of you. You're not the source of the river. You're all dried and puckered up on the inside and all your dealing with life. Any river coming out of you is going to be sourced in heaven. And that was the whole point that Jesus was bringing. The excellency, that word excellency, I love it. You know, I, I, if you've been here long enough, you know, I love going back and doing the word studies. It means to throw beyond the usual mark. Whenever you think that you know how God's going to do it, God loves doing this. He loves finding an end around to do it just so that you don't know how it's going to happen. Why? Because he is an excellent God. He's above and beyond our expectations. He can take good measure, press down, shaken together. You're a little too much, press it down, shaken together, kick the window of heaven open, and cause it to just run all over everything. That's the God we serve. It's not about us, it's about him. Throwing beyond the usual mark. Ha ha. Throw over or beyond the others. All right, dads, how many played catch with your boy or your daughter? I did not have good fathering growing up, so in my attempt to be a good father when I was younger, I failed a lot. This story was just letting you know I failed in this part of being a father with my oldest son, Jason. We're in the Yukon Territory and a little tiny village, and they put together a baseball team. Every boy in town signed up. My son was the pitcher. I didn't know a thing about training anybody for baseball. But I did know this. If he was going to be the pitcher, he was going to have to hit, he was going to have to be able to catch line drives coming right off right off home plate. I don't know, 25 feet, something like that. I got an appropriate distance away from him. Oh, Pastor Grace got it already. I bought him the best baseball glove that I could find in the Yukon Territory. I got one. He got a horde ball, and we kind of messed around. And then I said, okay, son, get ready, because it's coming at you. And then, this is how we played catch. I threw it as hard as I could possibly throw it right at his head. Every time. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not extraordinary, but I was probably in my prime then, so a little better than one is. And he never missed. He caught him every time. And I felt, man, I'm a good dad. And every time I told that story, trust me, somebody will come afterwards. How could you? And I, as I was messed up. And because um, that's the way my dad would have trained me had he trained me to catch a ball. You're either going to catch it or you're going to the hospital. That's the way it, that's the way it worked. That's the way it worked. That says, aren't you glad your father, aren't you glad we have a heavenly father that takes it a little easier on us? So, oh, that's not the end of the story. So we were going to convention, Redondo Beach. We left the boys at home with missionary teenage girls to watch over them. The dust had not even cleared. Because first thing boys did was get the baseball gloves and the baseball. 
these poor girls, they didn't, they literally didn't know what hit them. The prettiest one, within minutes of us leasing, had her nose smashed all over, all over her face. And we pray and we believe, but Oh, you thought I did everything good. No, no, there's messes, messes. We all laugh about it now. Even the girl laughs. I don't know, plastic surgery, whatever, they, they fixed it. You see, the throw, beyond, throw over or beyond others, and that was a crude, and I'm not referencing, oh, God will hurt you, because I'm, I'm not. But it's gonna go over what you're expecting. That's the point I'm trying to make. Only he'll make a way that it brings refreshing and freshness into your life. The Old Testament pattern, this Old Testament pattern is found, found over in Exodus chapter 27. This fresh oil, this, what we read of Zechariah, this excellency going beyond the mark, throwing beyond the usual, throwing over beyond those that are expecting to catch something. Exodus 27, 20, it says, and you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure, olive, a pure oil of pressed olives for the light. What was happening here is Moses was getting the download from heaven about how to set the tabernacle in the wilderness up. And so one of the most important things in the tabernacle was the lampstands where the light would be there, where it would illuminate the inside for the high priest to be able to do what he needed to do. But it really wasn't even there for illumination. It was there for something far more significant. It was there as a supernatural spiritual pattern that the aroma and the light and the smoke would ascend continually and, and come up before God. It was a reference to our praise and worship is what it was a reference to. And it said, you'll cause them to bring pure oil, bring you pure oil, I've pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually in the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony. Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. It shall be a statue forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. That is, it's going to go on as long as you guys do this. It's never going to go out at night. There's always going to be oil there. The, the, the people had to make sure there was always sufficient oil there. Why? Because this word burn, it means to ascend. Wasn't talking about light. It was actually talking about the, the effects of it, the, the heat and the smoke, that it was always ascending. It was always going up before the Lord. You know what happens? When that kind of lamp goes out and stops burning, cools down, there's no fresh aroma, leanness of spirit takes over. That's what really is going on. John 7:38, back to John. Rivers of living water. Jesus is antidote for dryness on the inside. What we're seeing in the Old Testament was uh, this antidote, this oil that would always be there. They would always keep the fire burning, always keep it, keep it going. And I know we're mixing metaphors and allegories today between fire and water, but it's the same same principle that's going on. You go over to Revelation. He said, I, I would have you either hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, it's just going to spew you out. Why would he rather have you cold than lukewarm? There's more chance of you being cold and knowing you're a mess. <laughs> then there is being lukewarm, thinking you're okay, but really you're just dried up on the inside. Jesus' antidote for dryness was three things. If anyone thirsts, let him come and drink. Those are the three things. We're going to wrap it up with this. Dryness, 
Thirst is created by an imbalance in your body. Thirst is created. You become thirsty. And I, I don't know how this all works. I just know enough reading and looking into it that um, when the salt level, the sodium level inside of your body and your bloodstream gets a little out of balance, it signals you need to drink some water. You become thirsty. And the crazy thing is, is that they say by the time you feel thirsty, by the time you actually feel, man, I'm thirsty, I need something to drink, you're already dehydrated. You already missed the perfect window for hydration. I think it's that way in the spirit. By the time you get figured out, man, it's been a long time since I felt God do something. You're already thin. You've already got some emaciation taking place. You're shriveling up your you're not where you should be on the inside. Dryness. Thirst is created by imbalance in the body. And Jesus, the great thing is, Jesus didn't, say, Jesus didn't say, man, if you're thirsty, you're messed up and you're just out. No, he said, if you're thirsty, that's the first thing that you need to have to get what I'm giving. Thirst isn't a thing to be shamed or, or um, a ridiculed over. Thirst is something saying, hey, you're on the right road. You're thirsty. You got some things that you need God to do that you can't do. Oh, you've come to the right place. That's what the house of God is for. This is a place for thirsty people. This is a place for people that are imbalanced. Let me just say it. This, this is a place for dysfunctional people. Can we handle that? Yay. <laughs> Remember David in the cave of Adullam? All the broken and bankrupt and divorced and messed up and busted and disgusted people. They were David's, they were David's crew. They were, his, they were his posse and he was their leader. And you know what? That's the same way that Jesus does today. He doesn't care how big your mess is. He just says, come on in. Man, I'm dying of thirst. Oh man, you're in the right house. You're in the right place. Come on in. I've been for this so long as I felt the Holy Spirit. I'm believing for this house, people's church. Oh, you're in the right church. Come on. I'm tired of preaching to myself. Come on. Yeah, you're in the right church. You, 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 it's, it's been a while since you, you remember some revivals from way back then. Well, that's good, but we want one and we're fixing to have one and we are having one right here, right now. You're in the right place. So, Dryness, that thirst on the inside. If there are areas of your life that you're discontented with, and who among us is there not? Right? You're the candidate. You're the first one. If you're thirsty, Jesus said. Then the next thing you have to do is there has to be some movement take place. There has to be something where you now become involved rather than just having an inner need. That inner need has to come over where it kicks in something at least uh, in, in, in your intention where you start to make a move. Breaking spiritual complacency. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't talk about living water to say, yeah, you can just, you know, you can just deal with thirst. Oh yeah, we've got some water over here. And whenever you get to heaven, I'll make sure you have it. No, he wants to have it in you right now. You need to have it in you right now. Movement. What's that mean? Anything where you step out of your ordinary routine and say, God, I'm coming for you. Prayer. There's not a whole lot said on fasting and that kind of thing today, but, but uh, fasting is another type. I'm, I'm, Lord, I'm more hungry for you than I am for food. Movement. God, I'm going to go to the prayer meeting. I, heard, I hear Saturday prayer meetings are just are wonderful. My wife comes home and just, yay. Breaking spiritual complacency. You're dry in the inside. You need to take a step forward. Over in James 4, I believe it says that those who draw near to God, you draw near to him. And there's just something about God. When he sees somebody take a step towards him, he takes a step towards them. He draws near to that. An intake. If you're thirsty, come, let him come. 
I'm telling you, you're, you're gonna need to take the step. Let him come to me, Jesus said, and drink. <laughs> now, for all of you that, that uh, may be offended at the literal interpretation of this word drinking, means imbibe. It means to drink something that will alter you. And he wasn't talking about alcohol. He wasn't talking about that. What he was saying is, when you come in, you get what I'm offering. It's gonna, it's gonna change the way you feel. It's gonna change the way you perceive reality. It's gonna change things in your life. This isn't just water. Oh, woman, if you knew the water that I have, I'd give it to you and you'd never thirst again, remember? Give me a drink. Oh, how can I do that? I, I, you're, I shouldn't even be talking to you. Well, if you knew who I was and you drank of the water I'm giving, you'd never thirst again. Lord, give me that water. Why'd she say that? Because she was thirsty and she was sick of going to that well every day. The offer is still the same. If you come and drink of what Jesus is giving, you imbibe within it. It will. You see, our problem is we want to receive the, uh, uh, the river of heaven, but we want it to be done so that we still look all cool and calm and composed. And there's nothing wrong with being cool and calm and composed. I try to be that way as often as I can. <laughs> and I'm not saying just be weird, just to be weird. But there have been times when the Holy Spirit's come up on me where I didn't care what I looked like. That's what I'm talking about. That's what Jesus said. If you're thirsty, you need to come and you need to imbibe. You need to, let, you need to let this saturate you. You need to receive the power that I'm giving and it's going to change your life in every way. Oh, this is, this is salvation, of course. But this, I believe, he's talking more about the ongoing life of the believer where there's a river now of living water flowing out of the inside of you. And I'm gonna wrap up here. I don't wanna take any more time, but that whole thing out of your belly, we just kind of think, well, that's the inner part and, and, and it is. And uh, um, really, whenever you break the word down, it literally means the womb, one of the translations of it. That is, you know, in the female, it's the part where life comes out. And so it's not just about gender thing in this. It's just the river of God's gonna come out of the middle of you, of your being. And it's gonna change and affect every everyone and everything around you. Rivers of living water. Um, I don't know, we might talk about it a little bit next week, but out of his heart will flow, out of his belly will flow rivers, will flow rivers. I don't know about you, when I read that, I think, okay, God, yeah, I can save, I can feel the Holy Spirit, got some of the gifts working and need more of the fruit, but you're working on that. We're walking through it all. But since we're friends and family here, I'd have to say, well, Gary, how big's your river? I don't know if I would even consider what I have a river flowing out of me yet. Maybe a stream, maybe a creek, but not a bayou. <laughs> Probably more connected with a water fountain. Oh yeah, I, I, I can refresh you a little bit. But Jesus said, there's gonna be rivers there's going to be rivers. We live on one of the greatest rivers in the world, actually. It's, it's right over there, right? The might is, okay, thanks, Kevin. That way? It's right over that way. The Columbia River. I think, I think Jesus, when he was talking rivers, it probably had more in that connotation. The whole point I'm trying to make is, there's room for more water in all of us today. Come on, somebody. There's room for more river 
flowing not from our source, but from his source flowing through us. If your soul's been in a drought, it's time to come and receive refreshing from the Holy Spirit's river today. Let's stand up. If you've been going through some tough times, think it not strange, Peter said. Do not think it strange. Don't get worked up about it. Don't get worried about it. Don't give the devil glory about it. Don't get thinking, oh my goodness, God doesn't love me. But think it not strange concerning these fiery trials that come upon you as though some strange thing has happened. The fire is just going to come. The world's going to test. The devil's going to be the devil. But I'm going to tell you, our God is greater. Jesus is greater. He greater is he that's in you than he's that's in the world. The antidote for it, if, if the devil's been hot in your truth, you need to get some water from the Spirit of God flowing again in your life. I know I do. Because two emails ago in my email, it says I need $32,000. I need some water. <laughs> come on, somebody. You got stuff too. Who's going to be first to come on down and just, let's just take a, let's take a few steps to the front this morning and just say, Holy Spirit, I present myself to you. Come and, and just let the river flow.